0: Good morning, Granada Church. My name is Annette Milanese, and I'm going to be reading the uh, scripture for this morning. It's coming from Mark 6, verses 34 to 44. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to the heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000.
1: Thank you, Annette. Thanks. Annette and her husband Michael are in my community groups. So I get to see them tonight. We get to talk about this. We're in this study that's called Beyond the Ordinary, and we're looking at the miracles of Jesus and saying, okay, what does that have to do with me? So what? How does that impact my life? And today it's the miracle of provision, and you sort of think of—you ever marvel at the way God has provided for you? I mean, you ever see? the wonder of that. I was reading a story, I think it happened last year, it was here in the United States. There were a group of uh, Korean tourists, it was the winter, and they were making their way across New York State when this huge blizzard hit, right? And so, they're outside Buffalo, little do they know this isn't the route to take. And they're driving and driving until they just can't drive anymore. Their their van becomes stuck in the snow. And two of the ten um, got out of the van and went to the closest house, and they're banging on the the door, right? They need some help, and the guy who comes to the door, his name is Alex Campania, and they ask him, can we get a shovel from you? Of course, the language challenges and everything, they're able to communicate, and Alex goes out there, and he's like, yeah, we might be able to dig out your van a little bit. There's no way you are going to keep driving. Why don't you all come in and stay at my house? So, like, there's 10 of them, right? And so, they're all snowed in at this one guy's house, and little did they, they discover they're from Korea. They're like, we want to cook for you. And he and his wife love Korean food, so they actually had some of the ingredients, and they cook some of their favorite dishes. They they tell stories from both of their countries. They watch a little bit of an American football, and what I didn't tell you was— the day they showed up on their doorstep is Christmas Eve. <laughs> now, can you imagine that being snowed in, having enough food for all the people for Christmas Eve and having this amazing experience? They didn't, weren't able to leave until Christmas Day. And it's like, oh, yes, this is a Christmas miracle. All this—all the room and all the food and all the time together, this beautiful event. Now, in our study of the miracles of Jesus, we come to this miracle of Jesus, you're like, oh, come on, this isn't that important. I mean, my refrigerator is so full, I have a hard time getting something else in, right? We shop at the Publix or the Whole Foods or Aldi. I don't know where you go shopping, but it's like, okay, how could this uh, possibly apply To where I live every day. I mean, I don't need food like that. I can go and buy it whenever I want it. And we feast almost every day. Well, today we need to see, and I think what Jesus is going to show us is he is our provider. And we see the difference that this will make practically in our lives. Would you pray together with me? Lord, we really do feel like we make it all happen. We have amazing farms that produce such foods, and we enjoy so much. And yet, Lord, if we look at a little deeper in our hearts and we see what's going on there, we see how much—how we really desperately do need you, O oh Lord. And so, I pray that you teach us your way, that you'll show us Jesus. We are just singing about Jesus being the center of our lives. Show us the difference it would make to have Jesus at the center. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's this beautiful psalm in in the Psalter, in the Old Testament songbook of the church. And what's really cool about it, Psalm 104, it talks about how God provides food that all the creatures of creation need. In one point of the song, it says this, all creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. There's sort of this beautiful song that says, hey, as you're going out, as you look at the creation, you look in the city, you know, my neighborhood we have these uh, white ibises that often go through the yard and they're looking for seeds or grubs or whatever. You see, whatever those animals are, and this song does that. It says, let me tell you about the wild donkeys and where they find their food, and and let me also tell you about storks and blue whales, and so here's sort of the curtain is pulled back and how God— provides for everything in our world. Now I read that and I think, but do we believe this? Do we trust that we will have what we need when the time comes? Now, I get that we are living in likely the wealthiest civilization to ever rise right across the thousands of years of human history, and we have access to food that other people can only dream about. I mean, they couldn't imagine what we have access to. For example, I don't know if you noticed, but on Granada's church logo, there is a pineapple at the top, and this became a sign of hospitality in the old world. Because back in the old world, to actually serve a guest a pineapple was usually very difficult to to get. It was at great expense— and so, it was one of the signs of overwhelming hospitality and the amount of sacrifice that went into providing you with something on the table. But you know what? I can easily get as many pineapples as I want. They sell them in cases over at the Aldi, and they're really inexpensive. So think about that. I can also buy their lamb from New Zealand and beef from Texas, cheese from France, wine from Spain. And I'm not trying to make you hungry, by the way. I did get breakfast, so I'm feeling it right now, and maybe you did too. But think about this for a minute. Think of where we live. Now, I remember years ago, it's a documentary I would recommend, watching a documentary called God Grew Tired of Us. And it's the story of a lot of boys who had to leave the south of Sudan because the North Sudanese realized if they killed the boys, there wouldn't be a future army. And this was the way to win this part of the world. And so, many Christian families just took their 6, seven, eight, nine, 10-year-old boys, and they sent them on this massive migration, hundreds of them ended up walking 900 miles all the way to Kenya. Now imagine that. And these boys literally lived in deprivation. And the story in this documentary follows a couple of these boys who are allowed by the United States to become legal immigrants. They move to the U.S. And you can see the day, this shows the whole story. You can see the day when the social worker leads them into their apartment. They're given an apartment that they're going to come to pay for after they work, but in the beginning it's given to them. And they're lead, led through by their social worker who shows them their bedroom and then leads them into the kitchen and shows them a refrigerator. They have never seen a refrigerator in their lives, and they ask, well, what is this box for? And the social worker says, oh, you will keep your extra food in here. And one of the boys said, you you have extra food? You live in a place where there's extra food? You see, so much of the world has lived like that wondering where extra food is coming from, right? And we live in a world where there's an incredible amount of food. It's almost overwhelming for us to even imagine this. So how can this multiplying of the loaves and fishes, how can it be important to us? Well, let me push a little deeper for all of us. If we have access to all of these resources, and by the way, we do, why in almost every one of our hearts is this fear of scarcity? I don't know if you know, a study was done a year ago and it asked, what are the greatest fears of Americans in there? Close to the top of the list were these two, not having enough money for the future. And economic and financial collapse, I don't know if you know, but over half of Americans out west have stored foods that will last decades because tomorrow we're going to all be out of it, right? We live in fear of these things happening. Think about it. How often do you check your account balances to make sure it's all there? Or you look at all your resources and you're counting and figuring, am I going to have enough to make it? You see, folks, we have the same fears as those boys who came from Africa have, and our refrigerators, but they're full. And so you would realize this has little to do with actually how much resources we have. And it would ask you, what in the world is going on in our hearts? Why are we afraid? Why does this stuff keep us up at night? Why do we hoard stuff and have stuff that that we can't even use? We have storage bins filled with stuff, right? And still in our hearts is this fear that we're going to run out. This fear of scarcity. And so in the Gospels, we have this miracle of Jesus to lead us to a different place, to a place where we will see ourselves in a different way. And we see here how Jesus makes provision and then also an invitation into a new way to see ourselves and our lives. So that's what this is about, is trusting our God to provide. Now by this time in Jesus's life, as we read Mark chapter 6, which Annette read for us this morning, Jesus has become like the popular guy. Thousands of people have turned out to be with him, not just to hear his teaching, but with the hope that they could be healed. And but also at this moment, a crisis has just occurred in Jesus' life. His cousin John the Baptist has been murdered, and he and the disciples are grieving, and so they get into a boat, hoping to get away from the crowd, and they go out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And here's what happens. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So, he's tried to get away from the crowd, and as soon as he lands, boom, there's a big crowd right there. He's tired and grieving, but at the same time, from this place, he can see their needs. The way Mark tells us is this. He says he sees the people as sheep without a shepherd. And by the way, if you grew up in Judaism, this triggers all kinds of things for you because one of the most ancient metaphors for thinking about God is thinking about him as our our shepherd. So, for example, one of the patriarchs, Jacob, is the first person to think about God in this way. He is elderly. It's not long before his death. He's blessing his kids. And this is what he says, God has been my shepherd all my life to this day. And you say, well, why does he speak of God like this? Well, Jacob himself had been a shepherd for much of his life, and he knows what a shepherd does. The shepherd guides the sheep and protects the sheep and makes sure that the sheep have plenty of food and water. Actually, his job is the well-being of the sheep. You could—they said in those days you could tell who the shepherd was by the condition of his sheep. And so here Jacob comes to the end of his life, and he looks back over, and he's like, wow, God has been my shepherd all the days of my life up to now. And by the way, then this metaphor is carried through Scripture. We don't have the opportunity to look at all the places, but this is the most famous one. This is David. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So it's why in this scene we hear Jesus, like, looking at the people, it's like, oh, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And then we hear Jesus, right? This is what it says in in our text. It says, Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Right? If we're not getting, it's like, get this scene. The shepherd is taking care of the sheep. And so, it's as if Jesus is saying, hey, you know, um, David said the Lord is my shepherd. Here I am. I'm the shepherd, your shepherd God, who's shown up to take care of you. Jesus is their shepherd. Nope. So, by the way, this is why. We fear scarcity. Even though we have resources, we're afraid. We were created by God to live under his care every day for his presence. In the same way, young children don't worry about where their next meal is going to come from. They don't even know who pays and how the lights come on at the house, right? They don't worry about any of this. Their parents take care of it. And that's why Jesus said, look, if you want to come to me, you really need to come to me as a child. But the problem is, we feel like we've become adults, that we can take care of it. And it's all on us. We're responsible for everything. And the result is this insecurity. And hopefully you will come to the point at one day, like Jacob, you'll say, wow, God has shepherded me all the days of my life until now. You see, Jesus is doing this, and his ministry is because he knows that we need a shepherd. Later on in his ministry, he just says it as simply as this, I am the good shepherd. I am that guy that God promised. God said he would appear, and here I am. That is what I have come to do. And by the way, this is what is happening in this miracle is what Jesus is doing. He is stepping forward into his calling to take care of us. But there's more than that. He's he's not just doing that. He is the shepherd. But I want you to hear what's happening in his heart. By this time it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, the text leads us to believe Jesus is teaching, 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 and at some point in time, the disciples are like, Jesus, Jesus, it's getting late. These people are hungry. Let's get rid of them. Let's ditch these people. I got to send them to the villages, right? They can get food. But listen to Jesus' compassion. He, he loves them. This is just his mission. It's also in his heart. He loves you. This is why he acts. Perhaps you have thought, oh, yeah, God is interested in my spiritual needs for sure, but no, Jesus is not the God of disembodied spirits. He is the God of flesh-and-blood humans, like you and like me. So, feeding hungry people is something that God takes seriously. And it, by the way, it's why we should take this seriously. And so, Jesus is acting because he has such compassion for us. I, I wish you could hear the text. That word for compassion is like guttural, okay? It is like from his guts. So, when he walks among people, he sees their need, and it actually affects the heart of his being It changes him. I remember years ago I was working with a college student and training him to lead Bible studies because I was about to leave the city I was in and he was going to take over leading them. And this guy one day confessed to me he found this girl, he really loved her. But the problem was he couldn't take her out to dinner. He couldn't even take her out to coffee. And I said, what's going on? He said, well, I took her out to dinner. and I got so sick to my stomach, I had to excuse myself. I went into the bathroom and I threw up. And, and I heard him, and he said, and I, I couldn't exactly tell her that she had that effect on me. This was not going to be good for our relationship. But he was so moved in his, in his gut by her, he was so disturbed just even being with her because he loved her, that this is what happened to him. And this is the word that's specifically used by Je- about Jesus. Do you know, Jesus is the only one in Scripture that th- it has this kind of description of his compassion, this is him. The, his, his, he is affected by hurting and needy people. Years ago when um, I went with a team here from Grenada to Haiti, uh, we worked over the years with a ministry that has like 20 orphanages, they're all over the country. Okay? And the biggest orphanage in the country is this one. It's called Cambry, and the children there have amazing care. They're in school. They're learning. They learn how to do something so they can work when they get old enough to go away. And we visited a number of orphanages. One of them that we visited has to be one of the most desperate places I have ever been to on this planet. And I've been other places in Haiti and other places in Africa, but this was a place where I saw not a single bed. The floors were not even finished. There was nothing on the walls. Nothing was even—I mean, literally, it was like a block building. And the children there looked so desperate. Have you ever seen scabies, the skin outbreak from from parasites? Like, we saw these children, and we realized there was almost no food. There was no water. They had to show up with a truck with water every day. And as we're starting to leave this facility, we hear this sound. And one of the men in our group had actually broken down in one of the hallways, and he was just sobbing. And let me tell you, it was not the kind of little tear trickled down your cheek. He was—because as he saw those children, he had children that weren't very different in age. And he realized how desperate this situation is. We went back to retrieve this guy in our own team. And you know what my thought was? Why weren't all of us crying? Why weren't all of us moved in this way? You see, I think what we do is it's terrifying for us to be, to enter in with people so much. And sometimes we just sort of, we steal our hearts against that, right? Or, or maybe we don't even go to where the hurt is. Do you know that, that Jesus never did that? And so he's standing in front of this, this people, not only fulfilling his message, his mission to be their shepherd, he loves them. His heart takes the temperature of their lives, and he is for them. And if you don't know that about Jesus for you, you you don't know Jesus, because this is who he is. If you are hurting, he hurts with you. He answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? They can't do it. They realize this. So, how does Jesus do this? Well, he puts his disciples on a mission, and they know they don't have enough money. And of course, this is the challenge that we face, isn't it, with what we do? We measure our problems based on our abilities, our capacities, and we say, oh, if I have what I need, then I'll give it a shot. And if we always did that, could we ever learn what God can do? If we only went to the limits of our capacities, Would we ever learn how God works? Or we say something like this, oh, when I have more time, maybe I'll—maybe I'll be willing to oh, if I had a little bit more resources, but you hear what we're saying, right? Look at Jesus. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. They went and found out, and they said, five and two fish. Now, John's Gospel, tells, in telling us about this, tells that one of the disciples was the one named Philip, and he not only came back with the news of the two and five, like we just heard, but this is what he said, but what are they for so many? In other words, Jesus, forget about it. This isn't enough. If we only had more, and that's what we say, right? I mean, if I only had more, then I would be able to step here. But you know what? God loves impossible situations. He, Jesus, healed a woman who had been sick for 12 years and had blown all of her money on doctors. Jesus went to the tomb of that Lazarus. He had been dead four days, and he raised him up. Jesus healed a guy who had been sick without help for 38 years. And I tell you that because some of you— you feel like you're in an impossible situation right now. You can't see a way forward. You've measured your resources, right? And you know that you can't do it. It's not enough. It looks impossible. And not only that, you're saying, why in the world would God want me to be here? You see, he wants you to see Jesus. He, he wants to develop your faith. He wants you to learn about his presence in your life. He wants you to see his love. So here's Jesus. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, right? He's the shepherd. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. That is almost nothing. The reality is this, he shows us how great he is by the little that he uses. So maybe you feel like you have little to offer God. I don't really have much. How could God use that? But that isn't the question. The question is, how could God use it, right? That's the question. I love first hearing the story. Maybe you heard it a few years ago. A guy died in, uh, up in Vermont. You'll see a picture of him. His name is Ronald Reed. And guess what he did? He left $8 million to the local library and the local hospital, and people were blown away. Do you know why? He was the guy behind the counter working part-time at the Quick Stop for decades. He had been the janitor at J.C. JCPenney's that they saw. He didn't have resources like this. This was impossible. And the truth is, he was driving around a beater car over 20 years old. He never had a thing. But the little he had, he saved. And the day that he died, he left it to the people that he loved. God can do great things with small things, small things. So don't discount the power of God, taking the small things and, and putting him in the hand of God. Now, you're wondering, okay, how, how can God use me? And we don't decide uh, we, we will do anything unless we say, oh, how can I make a big difference? But God says, just, just provide me what you have. I will work with small things. That was the story of my mentor, his name was Bob Davis. He was a country bumpkin from a small town in North Carolina. He was never expected to be anybody or to have any accomplishment in his life, but you know what he did? He gave the little he had to Jesus and he multiplied it. It was amazing and overwhelming. I see this over and over again, the way God works among us, like one little commitment, one small decision. One small gift. You see, God doesn't ask us to give what we do not have, but what we do. However small it may be, God used a boy with five smooth stones, right, to bring down that guy Goliath. How is that going to happen? This is what we're told. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. You're like, wow, Jesus, five loaves, two fish, 10,000. By the way, when it says 5,000 men were there, if there are women with them, that's 10,000. If there's even one child, that's 15,000. And he just, you can imagine Jesus praying and saying, Lord, bless this food to fulfill our needs. And I'm sure the disciples are thinking, this is absolutely ridiculous. It's embarrassing. This is not going to work. But when Jesus is done, it feeds everybody. There's plenty. There's so much so, there's a lot of leftovers, and the message is here, Jesus provides a super abundance, and I think this is the story of God's world, right? We fear scarcity, and the seas are filled with fish. (laughs) How many stars are in the sky? How great is this universe? But we worry. God always overdoes things. And this is what happens. By the way, those 12 basketfuls are said to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's as if to say, hey, there's enough for everybody. There's more than enough to go around. Nobody will be left out of my provision. Now, you might might wonder what Jesus is doing here that could be so important. But here's what we're told. I want to backtrack just a little. It says, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people." Now Those words that he took the bread, he blessed, and he broke, you know, they only occur one other time in this Gospel. You know when they occur? It's when Jesus was sharing the Passover with his disciples. He took the bread of the Passover, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he said, "'Take, this is my body.' Yes, Jesus is the one who cares for us and to provide what we need. And just like the Lord provided manna in the wilderness during the time of Moses, Jesus said this. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, in the miracles of Jesus, we learn how Jesus loves. And we learn who Jesus is. He came to make sure his sheep are taken care of. And on the night he was betrayed, taking the bread, he explained he's, his body is going to be given for the life of the world. And you say, well, what, is, what difference does that make? He came because we need a shepherd who will take care of us, and it is this love alone that will drive out our fears. Let me ask that question again. Do you want to know why children don't live in fear over the next meal and their future? Let me tell you why. It's not because their world is any safer. They live in the same world you do. But it's because of a secure relationship. And when you have that with the Father, you see, he created us as human beings to live in his shepherding care every day. And when we don't, when we're not in that secure relationship, we're going to be afraid we're going to fear that, we're, that it's going to run out. And so, Jesus ultimately provides us with himself. Through his cross, he's brought us into relationship with the Father. A hired hand would run away when the sheep are in danger. But listen to Jesus. I read the first part of what he said. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, Jesus died so that in the end, you would never have to worry that you have a place with God that's secure, that could never be taken away. And when you learn to rest in that and live in that, it'll be revolutionary for your whole life. That's how you can live without worrying for your future, without a fear of scarcity. You know what? I don't know what's going to happen in the future, and all of your fear won't change all of that. We're not in control of this, but our Father is. And he has set his affection on us through Jesus. And that's the source of our peace and our security. But I want to tell you, there's a little part of this miracle I looked over. It's the disciples. It's you and me. This is—we see this as any—unlike any other miracle, Jesus gets his disciples involved. In the other ones, he does it all himself. First, the disciples tell Jesus, send the people away. Then they say, oh, we don't have enough resources. We can never pull this off. They say it would be impossible. But even after this, Jesus tells them to distribute what they really don't even have. This is what we're told. Then he gave them to his disciples, right, the loaves and the fish to distribute to the people, and he also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish." Why does he keep pushing the disciples? Why is he doing this? When we are engaged with God, we will see God working. We will see his glory. He wants you to, to engage with him and what he's doing in the world. And let me tell you, from where I sit, it's been amazing. I have baptized babies right here that should not have lived. I have seen people's health restored that we already were planning their funeral service and knew they would pass away. I have seen resources provided for people who are in distress. I've seen relationships that were all beyond all hope of being repaired mended. And I'm not the hero. I I just get to watch. Let me tell you, it's awesome. It's amazing. And this is one reason why God is inviting you in, to be a part of his work. And by the way, you don't do anything for God. He wants you to do everything with him. This is why he pushes us to be generous. And by the way, that's when you will discover maybe as never before that Jesus is your shepherd. You'll feel safe and protected. You'll be able to risk. And this is why, by the way, we push you to serve in our city and in our church, because we want you to know the reality of this providing God. As I said, he doesn't want you to do anything for him. He doesn't need that. But he wants you to do everything with him so that you can come to know him and trust him more deeply with what little you have. I was reading uh, the story of a group of Chinese Christians, and the reason it was an amazing story of provision, 1942, a, a drought came to northern China, and it started a famine. And literally, people were dying. And so, aid organizations around the world—this is right before World War II—got involved in sending all kinds of resources there. And there was one little small group of Christians. There was a small movement of Christians in China at that time. They were just called Jesus Family. And somehow God had provided—they believed God would provide for them, so when the aid came, they said, no, 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 we don't want that. And somebody came to them and said, why are you not taking the aid? Why are you not taking the help? This is what they said. They would have robbed us of our anchor. It is our financial needs that drive us to our knees and force us to cry out to him. They're like, look, we're getting to see God in all of this. And the Lord had provided them something very small, only 43 acres of land. And they set forth with what little resources they had to cultivate that land. And they realized they could feed all that were in their group. And they fed an additional 500 people and sustained them forth. They ended up giving 90% of what they grew. You see, their goal was not the miracles of God, but knowing the God of miracles. And the result were so many people became aware of their faith. Right? This is one of those things that has kicked off a growth in faith in China. You can see the dramatic growth during this time, and it made me wonder what would happen if God's people were more like the disciples who were at the miracle of the multiplication and really were the dispensers of God's grace to the people who were around. People could see those with so little trusting in the power of God. Now you say, hey, China's a long way away, but no, 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 this is where we live too, right? In the fear of scarcity in the fear of having enough. And it's not until we come to see this secure relationship we have through Jesus that we can live like nobody else in this world, without fear, with security, and we can serve and share. So can you say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. What little has he given you that he wants to multiply? and used for good in his kingdom. Lord, thank you for your word of truth. It really is almost laughable, Lord, that we have as much as we have, and we're still so afraid. And really the only reasonable explanation is because we're cut off from the one we were created to walk with and trust in and enjoy. And so I pray, Lord, that you would show us through Jesus how through his body broken that we have a place with you, and we can know your provision. We can trust in your care. Help us to live and walk in this, Lord. Help us to realize all that we've been given in you. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, we're going to celebrate this good news.